You're listening to the Longer Hall Youth Ministry Podcast with Jody Livingston, episode number 23. Yep. Welcome to the Longer Hall Youth Ministry Podcast, helping you survive and thrive in youth ministry. And now your host, Jody Livingston. Well, hey, hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and listening today, wherever you are and wherever this finds you. Thanks for making this podcast today part of your day. If it's your first time listening, welcome. Thanks for coming over and checking out the podcast. And if you're coming back, as always, thanks for coming back. If you enjoy the podcast, I would really appreciate if you would head over to iTunes, head over to Stitcher, wherever you're listening, and write and leave a review there. Helps a ton just in ranking. Helps other youth pastors and youth workers find the podcast. Super encouraging for me also to see those. Thanks so much for everybody who's done that already. A bunch of you guys are, have done that, and I really, really appreciate it. Uh, as always, you can follow me and find me on the Twitter sphere at, at Jody Livingston, that's J-O-D-Y, and over on the Facebook at The Longer Hall. All the links, all the resources mentioned in today's episode will be in the show notes at thelongerhall.com slash episode 023, thelongerhall.com slash episode Zero, two, three. I'm excited for today's episode. A uh, really cool topic, one I've been asked about uh, lately a few times, and I don't really know a whole lot about it uh, specifically, so found some folks that do. Uh, some great youth ministry veterans work with tons and tons of youth pastors and youth workers. Such a heart for youth ministry, um, and uh, just a really cool couple of folks. You've likely heard them in other places on their podcast called Youth Ministry Answers or over at StuffYouCanUse.org. Uh, Kenny and L. Campbell on the show today talking about writing curriculum. Um, how do you write it? When do you write it? When, when do you look at writing versus using something else? Uh, is it the best? Is it really the best for our students to do so? Some really cool practical tips on how to do that. Really, really good stuff from L on uh, small group questions, what kind of questions to ask and not ask, and really just how to create an environment that supports everything, kind of a process to walk you through there. Some super, super cool stuff for you. Uh, I have a ton of notes from, from this interview personally, so I know you'll get a whole, whole bunch out of it. Before we jump in there, though, I'd like to thank today's sponsor, which is Audible.com. I uh, love Audible. been talking about it for a while. Genuinely a great resource for you. Over 250,000 books on there. And uh, man, I use it all the time, especially in the summers like right now where I'm traveling a bunch. And I've heard from several of you guys who've taken advantage of the free 30-day trial and download. Some of you guys have read the Bonhoeffer book I mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago, which is a great, great book. Uh, just tons of good stuff on there. Uh, Creature of the Word is a good one I've mentioned before. Just fantastic stuff. And Audible really helps me read a lot when I'm super busy and don't necessarily have the time to sit down uh, and do it like always. To be honest, I read a ton anyway. So it allows me to kind of double up a little bit because I can read, read, and then I can listen in the car or on the go or in the office. Uh, just a great, great resource. And Audible's offering a free 30-day trial and download for listeners of The Longer Haul. So you can go to thelongerhall.com slash audible trial to snag your free 30 days and your free download. Check it out. Let me know what you think and let me know what you're reading. 
uh, as you do it. And hey, with all that said, let's jump here into today's episode and interview with Kenny and L. Campbell. Well, hey guys, thanks for coming on the podcast today. I'm super excited to have you on and to impart some of your wisdom here. I know you guys are longtime youth ministry folks, go way back and have served in a variety of capacities. And I'm really excited about the topic for today. It's something I get, I've been asked about lately, especially in terms of curriculum and how to write your curriculum when you when do you know to choose somebody that's pre-existing versus writing your own um, and all that kind of stuff. But before we jump into there, um, Kenny and Al, can you guys take just a minute, kind of introduce yourself to those listening, a little bit of your journey thus far into youth ministry, and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. Sure Thanks for having us on. This is awesome. We are excited to Yay. be here today. We love podcasts. All podcasts <laughs> yes. about youth ministry. We are huge fans. So this is good times. Not even just about youth ministry. You're right. All we podcasts. love, not all podcasts, but okay. we love yeah. podcasts. So anyway, podcasts. thanks for having us on. <laughs> yeah. So a little bio about us. Yeah. We lived in Buffalo our entire lives, Buffalo, mm-hmm. New York. And I uh, led the middle school ministry at the church that Elle grew up in. So, right. I mean, she was there. My, It was like my only church. Like the church that I'm at now, because we, we live in Atlanta now, which Kenny will get to in a second. But the church we're at now is only the second church I've ever attended in my whole life. Wow. Which is weird. What? You yeah. never even attended well, like, a different church? Well, like, you know, church? like in terms of like, like regular membership. attendance. Okay. You know what I mean? Like yeah. my home church. Yeah. So we were middle school pastors up there for like nine years and then uh, we started an organization called Stuff You Can Use for youth ministry, stuff that people can use. <laughs> and now we, uh, over this last year, took a job at Orange, also known as the Rethink Company. You might know the Orange Conference or XP3 curriculum, things like that. Um, so we moved down to Atlanta, and so we're doing that full-time. Both of us are on staff full-time at Orange doing that. So life is good. Yeah. And now we're volunteers at a church volunteering in middle school ministry, and mm-hmm. it's awesome. We are small group leader coaches, so we're volunteers, but we oversee like a group of small group leaders and kind of are helping train them and coach them and all that stuff. So it's really, really fun. We love it. So how has that transition been going from kind of staff member to volunteer? It's been surprisingly smooth yeah. and good, and like we totally loved where we were. I mean, I loved... The church we were at. We love the people we served with and the kids and the ministry. And like we actually helped launch the middle school mm-hmm. ministry for that church. So before it was like middle school and high school separated, um, we were the ones that helped pioneer like the middle school ministry there. So it was something that was dear to our heart and yeah. we like felt you know, it was a big part of we our life. We branded it. Oh yeah. my goodness. Coming up with a name. I remember <laughs> all of those days. So, you know, it was definitely tough to leave that, but we really enjoy what we're doing. And, you know, we moved from Buffalo to Atlanta. So it was kind of a good geographic change <laughs> yeah. for us. It got a little warmer. Yeah. So yeah. Good. But we definitely miss our friends and our family and all the people up there. But as far as the ministry transition, it's been great. Like, we haven't, at least I, I haven't felt like a void or anything. Yeah. It's just kind of like we're on a new adventure and we're just excited to be doing what we're doing and being able to help youth workers around the country do what they do. And it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, for me, like my job at, at our old church was I was the small groups coordinator. So I oversaw all of our small group leaders. I was training them. I was investing in them. 
And so especially um, with the, the role that we have at the church that we're attending now, uh, it's really cool for me because it's basically, you know, on a smaller scale, my, the jo- same job that I had in, in Buffalo. I'm just doing this volunteer now. Um, so it feels like home. It's great. I love it. Yeah, that's cool. Sometimes I know I was, when I left the very first church I served at, um, and we, we took about six months there, we, we didn't leave to go to another church. We just kind of left. Um, and for about six months, we were attending at another church. And there were so many opportunities to get plugged in. And we, man, I tried. And, and it, I struggled a lot with that. Just, um, there was just attention there. And I was involved in student ministry, volunteering there for them. And it was never the end all for me, which is kind of different than your case. It was always, we always kind of knew we we're going to end up serving again. Sure. Somewhere in, in a youth pastor capacity. Uh, but man, it was, for me, that was tough. Uh, mm-hmm. And I loved the youth pastor there. He was actually a, a, one of my mentors early on in my ministry. And so I was learning a ton, but there was just, a, and I enjoyed that time, don't get me wrong. But man, there was definitely a tension I felt of like, okay, I need to be doing more than this. And and so I, I, I'm always, I always like to ask folks when they step out and into a different role, kind of how that mm-hmm. was. Because I think there's some really healthy scenarios, and you're in one of those, certainly, where that's really beneficial, not only for you, but for those that you're serving now, even as a volunteer, mm-hmm. beyond the students pouring and investing into those adults. And, and of course, you have a huge avenue uh, through Orange and through, uh, you know, your, your Youth Ministry Answers podcast and stuff you can use stuff. So I'm, yeah. that's awesome to hear. I, I'm always... I'm always excited to hear when that goes well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it did go well. And, you know, I think a large part of it is we had a great team at our old church um, and who, you know, we just felt confident would keep it running smoothly and make it awesome. Um, and, yeah, we were supported throughout the whole transition, too, which was great. And I think a thing that was huge for us is, like Kenny said, we weren't really trying to leave. We were very happy. We loved what we were doing. Um, but we just knew it was kind of time to move on. So, um, yeah, it, it felt like a very healthy transition for us, I think. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, good. let's jump in here and talk about this idea of curriculum. Um, yeah. I know you guys write a lot of curriculum mm-hmm. um, for Orange and for other stuff. Uh, yeah. And so I'm excited that you're here to share this because I think you definitely come from a place of experience. You've kind of seen it done. You've done it well. Um, and you, you, the thing I think, one of the reasons that I really was hoping to be able to tackle this with you guys is, You've served in youth ministry recently uh, as a youth pastors, you know, in, in that role. So you're not super disconnected. You're still very involved as a volunteer in youth ministry. You know, you're not just somebody at a publishing company who doesn't really do anything except write curriculum all day. Sure. Um, and you interact and talk to a ton of youth pastors, whether it's through your podcast, through your website, or through Orange. So I'm super excited. On yeah, that. this will be this will be a fun conversation. So what are some things that, that you would consider? Like when we start talking about this idea of curriculum, like where does that conversation start? So, okay. I think the big question and what I see a lot in like youth pastor forums on Facebook and, you know, people ask us, you know, personally is like kind of this question of, should I be writing my own curriculum? Should I be buying curriculum? What's the good, like, are, mm-hmm. is there better curriculum than others? What should I be looking for? Like, when do I write my own versus when do I buy? And so that's kind of like one of the big tensions as a sure. youth pastor, because you get hired on staff and sometimes you default to this thinking of like, okay, well, 
I need to do everything. Like mm-hmm. I need to write the curriculum. It needs to come from my heart because this is, you know, God placed me here and this is like my burden for these students that God placed in my ministry. And so you almost feel like this, like I have to write my own curriculum kind of feel. And I mean, in some churches that is actually explicitly expected as well. Like you should be writing um, curriculum. Yeah. And so I was a youth pastor for nine years and early on I was trying to write my own, but quickly figured out like I, there's other things that I would rather spend my time on. And I think that are more important for me than to from scratch, try to, develop a curriculum strategy for the school year and like develop all the bottom lines and then do all the research. And like, it's a ton of work. Like you can spend an entire week working on a message if you really want to start from scratch and, you know, do a great job. So we like me from the beginning, I've always looked for ways to partner with um, things that already existed. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I just relied on them completely and just used their outline and their script um, but there's definitely some things you can leverage, especially from an organization that strategically writes curriculum and writes uh, with like a full year in mind and like the ups and downs and the things that you want to talk about throughout a school year. So I think there's some pros and cons definitely to using curriculum. But for me personally, I think the pros definitely outweigh the cons, at least as a starting place. Yeah. And we, so we always use curriculum at our church. Um, Kenny at our church really oversaw the large group teaching, and then I oversaw the small group stuff. Um, so I know for, for sure on the small group side, um, I customized a lot um, because I'm very particular about small group <laughs> questions. Um, so I, I remember doing a lot of customizing for the curriculum we were using. But yeah, I mean, I think for us, our philosophy has always been, like Kenny said, to partner um, with existing people, with existing organizations. Um, and really, that's because we just always felt like we should, if we want to be the best stewards of our time and our talents and, and what we had, then we should be outsourcing the things that we can outsource so that we can spend more time focusing on the things that only we can do, um, which we just feel like is primarily relationships. And uh, when you think about um, curriculum, I know the kind of the go-to is like your teaching time and your message, but um, really, if you want your message to be heard, whatever it is, there is so much more that you need to think about. It's, it's every bit of your programming, but it's also your relationships, the people that you're developing, the leaders that you're connecting kids with, there's just so much to do beyond just the message. And so for us, it was, hey, this is a thing that we can outsource to people that we believe in, to people who do this for a living and who are really, really good at it, better than we could be at it. Um, So we wanted to partner with them, use it as a starting place that we could have more time to spend on other things. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think, you know, there's some things as a youth pastor that, you know, God's called you to do and you need to be able to do those things and not sacrifice those things at the expense of a lot of other little things. And, you know, when um, even we, when I train and do a lot of training and helping, when we're talking about recruiting leaders, um, that's one of the big things that I talk about. It's like, look, you, you make a list of all these things that you have to do during the week. You don't have to do all those things. They just need to right. get done right. in the context of your ministry. So if you can find you know, ways to, to equip others to do those things, man, that's, that's going to help you be a better youth pastor. Totally. And I think the other thing that, um, is really important about curriculum is, you know, like, okay, if, if we're a youth pastor and we are really writing all of our own messages from scratch, kind of 
in this like little vacuum of us in our offices. Uh, I think there's this, this thing that happens where um, we begin to expose kids only to our own perspective on things. And no matter how hard we try to be balanced, I mean, the truth is we are going to teach based on our opinions, our perspective. We're going to lean to talk more about topics that we like to talk about. Um, so, for example, if you like really have a heart for social justice, that's going to be probably just naturally a thing that you talk about a lot. Um, and so one of the things that we've always loved about using curriculum is um, it is kind of giving you all these different voices because there have been all these different voices writing this curriculum for you as a beginning. Um, and so you're kind of just adding your voice into this big mix of people who have created this together. Yeah, one of the things as a youth pastor that I really tried to do was uh, make sure our students knew that there were more ways to think about things than just like they the just way that away. I did. Right. Because right. like I don't want to turn them into little me's and like they have to believe everything exactly the same way that I believe. Because honestly, there's tons of different denominations yeah. and tons of different thoughts on things. And I definitely am not prideful enough to think that I know exactly yeah, the right answer all to wrong everything. about a lot of things. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, not that you want to be using curriculum that teaches like stuff that you don't believe because sure. obviously you don't want to do that. But there definitely is a lot of value in being able to see other people's research because they're going to think about things differently than you. And sure. it just makes your communication and your message so much richer and so much potentially better yeah. when someone else starts that creative process and then you can take it and finish it mm -hmm. because they're going to lead you in directions that maybe you would never have thought about. And it just brings, uh, I just think it makes you better as a communicator because yeah. like really the, you know, the mega churches and the large staffs, they have people on their teams, like they have teams mm -hmm. that help write their messages. Right. Multiple people who are working together and they're fighting about things and they're debating and dialoguing and working together. But yeah, it's just, I feel like when it comes to teaching, something that is so important is this, that you need more people in that conversation developing those, um, what you're going to teach than just yourself. And so what's nice about curriculum is you can outsource that like very cheaply. You don't have yeah. to hire a whole team of people to help you do this, right? right. You could basically for, you know, a small cost, whatever curriculum you use, whether it's uh, an orange curriculum or otherwise, like we're not here just to promote Orange's curriculum. Mm -hmm. We think it's great and we work on that team, but I know that there's other smart people writing other curriculums too. Totally. Um, but like you can outsource that. You can basically hire a team of people for a very cheap price to help you start to develop your messages mm -hmm. and to think through the strategy of what you're talking about and when you're talking about it and why you're talking about it. And so just to have those other voices in the mix, I think is like one of the most valuable things mm -hmm. of starting somewhere with a curriculum. Yeah. So are there, are there moments or times or seasons where you would think, okay, this is an area or a time where maybe I would look um, more quickly or more easily at writing something for myself versus outsourcing to a curriculum. For sure. And I don't think you have to always a hundred percent of the time use a curriculum, you know, like maybe God will put something on your heart that is very specific to your context. And like, that's the balance, you know, like you have to know as a youth pastor, like if there's something that specifically for your group that, you know, 
is a very important topic that you have to hit, then, you know, you can go ahead and do that and write that. Or maybe there's like a retreat that you're going on and you want to like focus on something very specific and you have something very specific to say. So there's definitely a balance. But even in those times, it's good to, you know, have something to start Mm -hmm. with and to be able to then take it from there. Totally. And and just another example, too. I mean, sometimes you have something that your whole church is doing at the same time that you want to kind of come alongside and do uh, as part of your greater local body. And so in that time, you know, it's not like a curriculum company can predict that for you. But yeah, I agree. Having something to start with, I just think is always helpful. Yeah, that's good. So what are some things then to think about when looking at curriculum, whether you're writing it or picking it out? Like, what are some considerations? What are the big considerations there? So I think one thing, um, and just personally, this is why I love working with Orange so much, is um, I kind of alluded to this already, but when you're thinking about curriculum, um, I always challenge people to think bigger than just a message. Um, There is so much that goes into driving a message home that is bigger than just the person standing up on stage. Um, So in, uh, in Orange World, what we talk about a lot is what we call the seven segments of your environment. And so we look at everything from start to finish. How can we um, help churches kind of communicate their message in every avenue of what they're doing? So, for example, the first thing would be like your prelude. So when kids are walking into the door, um, what are they seeing? What are they hearing? Um, how are you kind of getting them off on the, on the very first um, moment that they walk into your environment, um, kind of getting them thinking about what you'll be talking about that day. So, I mean, it has to do with the music that's playing. It has to do with um, kind of how you primed uh, your environment on social media throughout the week. So we try to, you know, provide stuff for that. Yeah. And like something that, um, you know, we do that I think is valuable is from the take-home pieces to the small group questions, like there's a lot that goes yeah. into it. Like from what was I was saying, from like when you walk in, there's ideas, the music that's playing, like set list kind of stuff. Like right. there's the so much, yeah, the games that you play, there's so much to think about. Like if you want to communicate your bottom line for that day very strategically, there's a lot to think about. So doing that all yourself is possible. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take you so much time to like think and put that stuff together. So you have that to think about when you're looking at a curriculum. Um, another thing to think about I think is important is the scope and cycle of what you're doing. And Elle talks a lot about the difference between what a scope and cycle is and even defining yeah. that um, and what a scope and sequence is. Right. So Elle, why don't you take it away yeah, and I, talk about that? I'll, yeah, let me do that, Kenny. Thank you for that nice <laughs> handoff. That was so, so lovely. So, okay, you hear the phrase like scope and sequence quite a bit. I mean, it's used in um, like the education world, um, in schools and that kind of thing. And basically what a scope and sequence is, is it's when you're thinking about what you're going to teach Um, And in the education world, let's say, you know, maybe math. So when a kid is young, you start them off with like basic arithmetic. You're teaching them addition and subtraction. But as they get older, you start introducing more complex ideas, um, you know, until eventually they're doing all of the crazy math things and calculus and whatever. Um, However, faith principles and, um, you know, a relationship with God isn't necessarily building blocks like that. Um, If you think about your own spiritual development, I mean, chances are um, you don't learn one principle and master it and then move on to something right. more complex. Um, it's We are always growing in all these different areas and we need to be reminded of things and we need to kind of cycle back um, and work on, you know, 
if you worked on patients one time when you were 10, you're probably not going to never have to deal with that ever again. Um, and so when we are thinking about what to teach, I think it's important to think through it in a cycle format. So not just expecting kids to master a particular concept and never have to address it again, but thinking through what are those important things that you need to constantly be putting in front of kids on a cyclical basis. And defining what those things are is really important. And sometimes if you're writing it yourself, you're going to really kind of lean towards the things that you struggle with personally or the things that, you know, are most important to you. But, you know, if you want to reach every student that's coming to your student ministry, there's probably a lot of things that you think are easy that other kids think are really hard and that need to be covered. And so you may never even talk about those things if you're the only one that's writing what's being spoken. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and what's nice is, you know, there's a lot of curriculums that do this kind of like scope and cycle where you keep recycling the same principles every year, but the discussions are going to look different. So even though you talk about humility every single year in sixth grade, the small group discussion is going to look different, but you can talk about the same thing in seventh grade. And then the discussion is going to look different that year just because of their life experience and the things that they're dealing with. So sometimes we think, oh man, we've already talked about that. Like, I don't want to talk about that again. We talked about that last year, but I can guarantee you the conversations are going to be 100% different in their small group this year compared to last Mm -hmm. year, just based on them. Yeah, and it just depends on how you spin it too. Um, So you can kind of make all these things show up in different ways that are interesting and creative and don't leave kids bored. Um, So I think that's important. And But also a thing to think about too is like when these topics are showing up throughout the year, um, for example, you know, we we have had a lot of experience with middle school um, specifically, and there's always this, like, conversation about when do you talk to middle schoolers about dating? And right. um, one thing that we've kind of learned is we feel like it's the best time of year to talk to middle schoolers about dating in, like, the spring because your youngest kids in the room um, have kind of had, like, a year to be in middle school. So if you maybe started off the school year with dating, maybe your eighth graders would be into it, but like your brand new fifth graders or brand new sixth graders, that there's a good chance that could be over their head. So you kind of let them grow up a little bit and then talk dating. So just stuff like that, like thinking about when the felt needs um, are happening in kids' lives and just strategically the best time to talk about things. Yeah, that's really good. I remember one of the first books that I read as a youth pastor when I started, which, man, I was like 18 when I started as a youth pastor. And so I didn't know what the heck I was doing. <laughs> I mean, not like I do now, but you know, nobody ever really does. But I read, I picked up, a, uh, I was at a youth specialties convention, and I picked up a book by Duffy Robbins called The Ministry of Nurture. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read that book, but it is, it is the, it's, it's an older book. It's still in print, I believe, and it's out there. But man, uh, that book had such an impact on shaping just my philosophy of ministry. And he talks a lot about relationships and investing in that. And, but one of the things he talks about is this idea, kind of what you're talking about, of kind of a curriculum map in the sense of, working backwards. Okay. What are the things that we want our students to know when they leave our ministry and then taking those things and building in kind of these cycles, right? Mm. And so that you have an end game. It's not just like, okay, well this year let's tackle these things (laughs) right? next year. Exactly. Or like, what do I want to talk about next week? I need, I need a message. And you know, the reality is, and I'm sure that some listening can relate to this. It is Mm -hmm. easy to get caught in a cycle yourself where, you're just teaching week to week and you're, you know, what am I going to teach next week? Or mm-hmm. what are we going to do? Um, I'll find something, you know, or you're just out looking and, you know, you're not really giving your students the, the, their, your best. 
right. when that's there. And you're certainly not doing justice to, to your topic. Um, yeah, because for you, sure. there's no, you, you can't plan accurately for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the scary part of like, if you're a youth pastor trying to do it yourself and like, you know, there's resources out there where you could buy single series really cheap and like you do that. And then when you finish it, you're like, oh man, I got to find a new one. You know, <laughs> I got to go out and like download a series and then, you know, figure out what I'm going to teach. Like you really are doing a disservice mm-hmm. to your students and to your calling because, you know, if you're not strategizing what you're going to talk about ahead of time and being prepared, um, you're just not, you know, giving it your all, like you yeah. just said. And so, you know, even if you don't use a curriculum and you are just doing like one-off things, you can still strategize and figure that kind of stuff out mm-hmm. so that you have a plan, you know what you're doing. And like you said, you're working with the end in mind and you know what you want to say over the course of the next three years and you're strategically figuring out when and how to say that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, that's so good. So we're thinking cycles and, and not necessarily sequence. So it's the things that we're coming back and hitting these things that are important. Um, as we're looking at curriculum or even in writing our own, how does this fit into the cycle that we have mm-hmm. existing? Kind of what we're trying to teach the end game for us. Are there, are there certain things like I know, L, you mentioned just a, a few minutes ago that you're really particular about small group questions. Yeah. Um, I mean, are there certain kind of elements or things that you would put into a message? For sure. So, um, when we are kind of crafting messages and by we, I mean, um, the kind of the XP3 curriculum team, um, we have, by the way, when we're creating messages, we have probably about 10 different people, um, to some degree, at least working on each message. Um, and again, that just goes back to that collaborative thing. It's, we just feel like it's a better product when you have multiple people looking at it and pushing at it and working on it together. Um, but so when we're kind of working on a message there, there's definitely a structure that we think about. Um, in terms of small groups, uh, one of the things that we love to do is to begin with the question, what do we want, what conversation do we want um, small groups to have? And then let's build a message that supports and leads to that conversation. Um, I think sometimes the the default is, okay, let's write a message and then, okay, let's just figure out a couple conversation starters. Um, but I think we're doing a disservice to kids when we do it that way because uh, in the middle school and high school phases um, specifically, kids learn best through experience, through interaction. Um, They don't learn best just by sitting there and listening to a lecture. Um, And so I think we do need to think strategically about how we're setting up our messages to help small groups win and not the other way around. Um, So a friend of ours, Tom Shifshunas, he uses this analogy. if If you're picturing a plane that you don't land the plane during the message. You let the the plane land during small groups. Um, And for that to really be the big moment of the day, because um, then your small group leaders are the heroes, then that's where your your kids are really processing out loud instead of just sitting there being told what to believe and what to know. So here's the thing. And as a communicator, something that I had to struggle with and figure out, because this is exactly how we did it when we were leading our middle school ministry was – the small group discussion is the most important thing that's going to happen. Like what those kids talk about and how they wrestle with the topic, that's what they're going to remember. They may remember bits and pieces of what I say as a communicator, but what they're going to remember is how they unpack it afterwards. And so as a communicator, when Elle's talking about not landing the plane, 
that's a tension for you as a communicator because you want to land that plane. Yeah. You're like, right. I have so much great stuff to right. say. Like, let me say it. <laughs> and then you're like, no, I can't. Like, I have to let them discover that in their small group because if I discover it for them, it's not going to last in their head. Mm-hmm. It's going to go in one ear and out the other ear, most likely. But if they discover the application and they like, you save some of those good things for them to figure out during small groups and you write questions that lead to those things, it's such a more richer experience for the student that will hopefully be sticky and stick with them as they walk out your doors. Right. And so when you're thinking about small group questions, then these are just a few like tips that I would give um, is first of all, don't do yes or no questions. (laughs) Um, Because if kids are just responding, if they can respond to a question in just one word, uh, then they will. And that will shut down your conversation. Um, so definitely avoid those. And it's not only for the kids. It's yeah, for the, the small group leaders. Like right. if you're giving them questions that don't prompt <laughs> like really deep discussion or yeah. at least, you know, something more than a yes or no, yeah. then you're setting them up for failure. Right. And, That's yeah. for leader. For, and then they're going to think like, man, I'm so bad at being a small group leader. But <laughs> like, really, they don't yeah. know. You're just bad at writing small yeah. group questions. They're a great small group leader. You're just you're lousy. That's not good at their job, not them. And so uh, that right. just frustrates me. When I was a small group leader, if I had bad questions, mm-hmm. I'm like, man, this is not helping me yeah. right now. And, well, and, and that's why I'm saying, like, I had to do a lot of customization because, I mean, honestly, I think it, there's just a lot of curriculums out there that maybe just don't value small groups the way that we would wish that they would. And so to get them there, we had to do a lot of tweaking. So let me ask you this. Let's mm-hmm. say, because I'm sure that some listening are, you know, are sitting here thinking, I'm horrible at coming up with questions like that. Yeah. Like, I mean, you don't have to be the one to do that, right? Right. I mean, you right. can pull. Well, that's, that's kind of the whole point here that we're saying, mm-hmm. like, bring exactly. other people into yeah. that. Bring and people into the mix. You could bring people, like, a volunteer into the yeah. mix to help bring you do that. small group leaders in. Or find a curriculum that does a really good job at yeah. crafting small group questions. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the strengths of Orange Curriculums mm-hmm. is we start with that. And right. so if, like, that's a passion of yours and you want your small groups to be, you know, top-notch, then, you know, check out XP3 because they, you know, we start with a small group discussion and then work backwards from there. One of the things that we do is um, we have, we have kind of like these imaginary prototype students in our brains. So we actually like name them and whatever. We like give them histories and backgrounds and we run through the questions that we, that we're drafting and think, okay, how would, how would this kid respond to this question? What would they say? Um, and it's a fun exercise, but it's really important because sometimes you find out that a question you thought would be good in your head, once it kind of gets in a group format, you realize, okay, that one is definitely a dud. Um, or it's just, you know, sometimes you ask a question and you're like, oh, middle school boys are going to take that somewhere weird. <laughs> so like, right. let's, let's rephrase that one. Um, so that's big. But um, I think really ultimately it's just getting to the, the quality question. So um, I already said, you know, don't do yes or no questions, but a couple of things that I think you should do uh, when you're crafting these is to really, um, oh, also another thing to avoid, avoid what did you learn today kinds of questions. Um, I see that a lot in curriculum and it drives me nuts because that's not the, like the point isn't a recap. A point should be discovery. It should be furthering the conversation, not, okay, you heard all the answers, so just tell me what they are. Um, it should be getting them to kind of discover it together. And to that point, you have to train your small group leaders to think that way. Yeah. Because a lot of small group leaders, if they don't have any training, are just going to want to recap what was just yeah. said. Yeah. When we're trying to say, no, no, it's not a recap session. Mm-hmm. This is for you to take setup. 
Right, exactly. Yeah. We set you up for a new discussion to take it deeper. Yeah. So if you start off the small group session with, so what did the speaker talk about today? <laughs> you're like, oh my gosh, you're missing the point. Right. Like we don't want, this isn't school. Like you're totally. not just going to recite things that we told you. We and want think, you to, you know, mm-hmm. take it to a different level. Yeah. And I think um, on that note, I think in like the middle school age specifically, I think there's a way to do that well. Um, like for a high schooler, I don't think you really need to make them summarize the, que- the what they just learned. But sometimes for middle schoolers, it, a, it's a good way to start a conversation is, hey, somebody, one person, really in like a sentence recap what we just talked about, just to kind of focus them and get them kind of yeah, like there. Um, but don't harp on it because that's not the point. So, okay, so avoid yes or no, avoid recapping the message. So then instead, what you should be doing with your small group questions is to ask questions that start with, um, hey, why do you think this? Or what do you think about this? Or, um, hey, give some examples of this, like super open-ended questions um, to really just get them talking. Um, and when that happens, you know, kids will start to voice their perspectives um, on certain things. Hopefully, they'll begin to wrestle with certain perspectives a little bit. Like maybe you'll find one kid see something super differently than another kid. And that's a great way to begin a conversation so that you can kind of um, help them navigate that and bounce ideas off of each other. And again, like we've been saying, discover truth together instead of being told what the truth is. Yeah. So let me ask this. Um, I know that a lot of youth pastors listening are teaching middle school and high school together, mm-hmm. just based on size, need, budget. Are there certain things when you're teaching a combined group like that that you need to be mindful of? That you would say, okay, if I'm, you know, if I'm teaching high school and middle school, I need, cause I think what happens is, and kind of flesh this out a little bit so it makes sense maybe. We teach, we tend either to teach to who we relate to. So if you're a youth mm-hmm. pastor who really relates to your middle school kids most, you're going to teach kind of on the middle schoolers level and maybe the high schoolers kind of lose interest or get lost. Sure. Or you teach above the middle schoolers to the high school and the middle schoolers are totally confused. So, and I think in that scenario, you, you sit down for small groups, but you, you've also kind of really sabotaged your small group leader because you didn't really <laughs> give them much. Does that totally. make sense? Yeah. Yes. And okay. First thing I would say before I answer that scenario, but I think that leads to the point as a youth pastor, you should, you know, as soon as it's possible for you, I know there's constraints based on space and timing and all this stuff, but as soon as it's possible, just for the benefit of mm-hmm. reaching your students, you should split middle school and high school. Yeah. So if that's like a possible scenario, you should pursue that and figure out how to make that work. And, you know, one way that we recommend doing that is just like a simple way is, hey, even if you have a really small group of students, that's okay. That's great. Then essentially you can have a middle school small group and you can have a high school small group, um, whether that's just doing that in a home or like um, maybe you alternate like a video teaching with a live teaching every other week so that both Groups are getting live communicators half the time. Um, yeah, there's lots of, we have some people that we work with and a lot of things that they do is they like help coach um, different churches through scenarios like that and kind of help do some like creative problem solving. So there's a lot of interesting formats that people have, have used. In so number one, split them up as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. But if you can't split them up and you are in the scenario where you're teaching to middle school and high school in the same room, um, then I think that's the beauty of where small groups come in. Like you can, you know, tailor your message. I would, I mean, I always kind of think of tailor it to 
the oldest boy in the room. But I mean, I don't know if that works for high school and middle school combined. And then kind of let the discussion. Yeah, I mean, it, it is really hard. It's hard to think about how do I talk to a sixth grade girl and a 12th mm-hmm. grade boy right. at the same time. Yeah. Right. Um, but I mean, that's the beauty of small groups. So, you know, if you do keep the message kind of, you know, not vague, but you just mm-hmm. keep it on point to the yeah. bottom line. I think and the then, briefer the better in those scenarios, because again, if you're thinking about your message as the setup, um, then really treat it like a setup and let that contextualization happen in small groups. Right. So then the application can be different in every single small group, depending on how old they are. And you should definitely be doing some kind of small group at that point, yeah. because if you're just doing large group, you know, middle school and high school, right. you are going to be missed. Like it's not going to be easy. But if you can break them into small groups, at least each age group will be able to have the conversation that's relevant to where they're at in life. Yeah. And I think one other thing you could do is um, I I think a a significant difference between middle school and high school is that middle schoolers um, need more interactive elements when they're learning. Um, so a high schooler has a longer attention span. They, they're more easily to, um, able to learn like an adult would where they can kind of sit and listen to a message and they can retain some stuff. Um, but a middle schooler just developmentally, they need a little bit of help in that area. Um, and so doing things like visuals and props and things where they're actually interacting with you as the communicator or interacting with each other, um, I think is super, super important. I mean, I feel like I need that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the more helpful. you can do that for anybody. Right. It's helpful for all ages, but especially in that middle school age. And I mean, that's a whole other subject I could talk about for like an hour. But um, yeah, so if you have both together, then I would say just make sure you're doing for sure some interactive elements in your teaching to make sure so that even if your content maybe is like gearing toward the older ages, that you're doing some interactive things um, to give the middle schoolers in the room some like tangible, um, either visual handholds or um, things just to help um, bring these abstract ideas and give them something concrete to make sense of them. Yeah. You have to illustrate very, very well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very, very clearly. And I think that even goes back to what you were saying before of kind of thinking through who's in the room, right? Mm-hmm. So for sure, when we're writing small group questions, how are those going to, how are they going to respond? But even as you're thinking through your message to the large group, like, okay, who's going to be in the room? Are they going to understand this principle? How do I flesh this out so that they can understand Right. And, and make it so that they can grasp it mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that it gives my small group leader something to really kind of take a little further. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's um, difficult about teaching to both at the same time is that middle schoolers and high schoolers um, have different felt needs. And so when we're writing messages, we think a lot about this um, idea of raising the tension. And so when you start your message, you can't just assume that everyone in the room cares about what you're about to say. That's just not reality. And so you do need to, in the very beginning of your message, um, either identify attention they're already feeling um, or raise one if you are, if you feel like maybe they're not there yet. Um, And so the hard thing with teaching to both is that um, what motivates a middle schooler is different than what motivates a high schooler. Um, the things that a middle schooler struggles with is going to be different from what a high schooler struggles with. So um, I would say just one more thing on that is to really know both of those groups well if you're going to teach both of them at the same time and to make sure you're touching on felt needs for both of them. So if a middle schooler is driven by acceptance and a, um, a high schooler is maybe driven by significance, like what, what is my role in the world? then you need to make sure you're hitting both of those and not just one. If that yeah, makes and that's a benefit too. If you're in a smaller ministry, you can really know your kids. Yeah. And so it, it becomes a little easier in some sense to 
craft messages to really help them where they are. Because mm-hmm. you can know those guys. If you're in a ministry of hundreds, that becomes really, really difficult in that sense, for sure. Sure. So, so anything we talked about, uh, we've talked about a lot. Actually, this has been so good. I've got a million uh, notes here. <laughs> nice. So we kind of talked about, you know, why curriculum, you know, where, where to look for writing your own versus using others, advantages to that. Um, we've kind of thought of a big point, you know, think beyond that, that, that one message to that whole, the environment factors in where you're going from there, uh, scope and cycle. Uh, we've talked through some small group stuff. Any, anything else that you want to throw out there that I haven't asked or covered or? Um, well, I could give you kind of like a formula for writing messages. It's the one that we use um, on the XP3 team, if you think that's helpful. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay. Um, so when we're thinking through our messages, we think through a message in five uh, pieces, like five different elements. Um, so this first part is just your introduction. And typically, it's pretty short. It's just something, uh, especially for middle school, it's like fun, typically, and engaging to kind of get their attention to really like win them over a little bit is what you're trying to do. So that's your intro. Uh, the second thing you want to think about is your tension, which I was just talking about. Um, this is the thing where you are transitioning into the felt need um, or creating a need for them to um, basically you're raising like this question, um, raising the sense of tensions that they want to know what the resolve is. They want to know, okay, what's the answer? I understand that this is a question, but what's the answer? So that's what you're trying to do with the tension. Um, Then the third piece is the truth. And so once you've got them kind of in their seats thinking, okay, so I know that this is the question. So what's the answer? You want to kind of bring in the truth Um, give them the scripture that you're talking about that day and start to really unpack that. Uh, Then the fourth thing, you can transition into your application, um, which again, as we've said, you want to keep that pretty brief because that's going to mostly happen in small groups, but you do want to give them some kind of like tangible thing that they can think about uh, as they're going to small groups. And then the last thing is just your landing. So that's um, just how you're tying up all the loose ends. If there's a visual, if maybe there's a story you're telling throughout um, how are you just kind of bringing that all together and, you know, just putting a nice little pretty bow on it before you send them off to small groups? Um, one thing we like to do in middle school is um, as part of that landing is to actually have the communicator give them a question to think about as they're walking to small groups. Because, um, well, in middle school, they're a little ADD. I'm, I'm assuming that's not like news to anyone. But if you give them kind of like a mission, OK, as you go to small groups, I want you to think about this question. It'll help them stay more focused um, and hopefully, you know, let small groups get off to a little bit of a better start uh, than if you hadn't done that. So that's the five step formula, intro, tension, truth, application, landing. Very cool. Very cool. Well, guys, thank you so much. And Kenny, thanks for taking time out on your birthday. Aw, no problem. Happy birthday, Kenny. I'm just lucky enough that I get to podcast on my birthday. I know. You are. (laughs) You love podcasts. (laughs) I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Uh, If guys, if if folks wanted to find you online out in the webosphere, where would they look to catch up with you more? All right. Well, they can start at stuffyoucanuse.org. That's kind of like the center of all of our youth ministry resources and websites. And from there, you can find the Youth Ministry Answers podcast. You can find Elle's blog. You can find Fun Ninja, which is a game archive. And there's there's even more than that. So stuffyoucanuse.org is a good place to start. And then um, if you are interested in seeing what we're working on with the curriculum, then you can head to xp3ms.com. And we just released our fall season of curriculum. So if you're looking for some stuff... You know, hopefully you like it. 
I like it. <laughs> well, that's that, that's amazing. I hope you like it. You, you helped write it. Right? I do. It would I be really it. unfortunate if you didn't. <laughs> it would be pretty weird. But we have like, I every day I'm like, jeepers. Like, what is this team that we get to work with? Because these people are geniuses. Like, I'm really bad at like videos, for example. And we have these amazing video people who just crank out amazing stuff. So I'm just, I just get to go to work and just be in awe of my friends who I get to make stuff with. It's good times. Super cool. Is there a, before we're done, is there a resource that you have that you find yourself going to that you would throw out or outside of your, uh, you know, the stuff you can use your podcast and the curriculum? Yeah. Um, let's see. So there is, Oh man, there's a couple things that are like in development, but I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about them yet. Wait, what are you talking about? there's, (laughs) There's a couple things that our friends are working on. So Maybe this is kind of cheating, but um, our friends at Orange, it's Reggie Joyner and Kristen Ivy. They are working on this massive project called It's Just a Phase. And I have been learning so much from them, um, not only just for the curriculum, but just in general. What they're doing right now is they are looking at the whole life phase of a kid from birth all the way through um, high school graduation. And um, they've already released a book that's kind of like the church leader's guide to all of the phases. So they've broken it down into 13 different phases of life. And they're kind of um, working on Not of life, of just birth through high school, right? So 13 different phases. And in every phase, um, they're working on resources right now that explain um, kind of what's going on in a kid's brain developmentally, like how they're changing physically, um, how they're changing emotionally, what's going on culturally in their life. It is like the craziest, most comprehensive thing I've ever seen for a parent and for a leader to really understand like what's happening in a kid's life. I'm really excited for that project too. I think that's going to be so helpful to understand the kids that you're working with. Like if you are working with, you know, sixth through 12th grade, get the sixth through 12th grade phase books because that will help you understand how they think and how they learn. And it's just going to be really a great tool for youth workers and small group leaders and anyone that wants to reach kids. So right now there's the leader book is available. It's called, it's just a phase. Um, but there is a lot more that's in development that will kind of be coming out over the next like year or so. Um, so anyway, it's, it's pretty amazing. Very cool. That sounds awesome. That's super cool. Well guys, thank you so much again. Um, and be sure everybody to head over to stuff you can use.org and check out the website there for sure. Check out the podcast, super good, practical stuff, always quality stuff. And, uh, man, thank you guys so much. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. And Kenny, have a great bird. Eat lots of cake today, buddy. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Cool. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Jody. And there you have it. Just a great episode with those guys. Love them so much. Their heart for youth ministry and youth workers, for equipping youth workers. But most of all, man, just for their heart for teens and students and really seeing God show up and do something amazing in their lives. Again, all of the links and uh, resources mentioned there will be in the show notes page over at thelongerhall.com slash episode 023. That's thelongerhall.com slash episode 023. So you want to head over there and check that out. Also, there is a huge giveaway running right now on thelongerhall.com. If you have not already headed over there to check that out and you're listening to this at the day of release or closely thereafter, so this is July Uh, 9th when this episode will release. Uh, There is a a giveaway running until Monday. I'm giving away a five-foot Zorby, which is a massive beanbag chair, if you've never seen those. 
And that's including shipping, shipping that out to you for free. And then my good friend Nick over at ministertoyouth.com has also thrown in $250 in resources there to throw in with that. So head over to thelongerhaul.com and check out that giveaway there for you if you are listening to this. Now, that giveaway ends on Monday, so it's, this episode comes out on Thursday. So head over there, jump in, uh, check out the giveaway, check out the show notes again. Uh, just thanks for hanging out today, and uh, I appreciate you listening and taking taking the time to do so. Hope you're finding it helpful and useful. If you are, please head over to iTunes and Stitcher, write and leave a review there for me. I would appreciate it very, very much. And that'll do it for this episode. So until next time, give them Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Longer Hall Youth Ministry Podcast at www.thelongerhall.com. 